Welcome to The Queerness, an LGBTQ podcast produced by San Francisco Pride in our studios overlooking the most astonishing city in the galaxy, where some 320 Pride flags are being installed up and down Market Street this very moment. I'm your host, Peter Astrid Kane, and I use they-them pronouns. In this kickoff to Pride Month episode, I have the good fortune to be speaking with Eli Ramos and Sam Sharkland of San Francisco's famed hands-on science museum, the Exploratorium. ELI is part of the STARS intern program that began in January, an acronym that stands for Striving for Trans Inclusion and Anti-Racism in Science Learning. It centers trans and queer people of color, their perspectives and identities, with the goal of transforming the way gender inclusion and racial equality are linked to science learning. Sam is a program director at the public programs team at the Exploratorium, and he worked with the STARS interns on the After Dark online events. He has been with the museum for 13 years. Eli, Sam, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Wonderful. Can you give us a little background on yourselves and your scientific training? What are your roles at the museum? Eli, we'll start with you. Sure, gosh. (laughs) First of all, hi, I'm Eli. I use they, them pronouns. As far as like science background, I graduated last year from the University of San Francisco with a BS biology and a minor in journalism. I've been doing science education for a long time. I've been doing it, I guess I would say since I was in high school, I've been doing like science projects and teaching people science. My position at the Exploratorium is the first formal time I've done science education. Uh, Most of the other times I've just been like doing it on my own. Uh, or working with like smaller programs. Um, The STARS internship really is like, we have worked on like programming for things like the Trans Day of Visibility After Dark. Um, And we've also like talked with a lot of people in the museum. So that's a little bit about where our role is. Excellent. Sam, how about you? Yeah, my name is Sam Sharkland. I use he, him, or they, them pronouns. And As mentioned, I've been with the museum for over a decade, and I actually came in not through the science avenue, but more through the arts. I do have a strong interest in science and very curious and try to keep up my science literacy where I can. But ultimately, I came into the museum through the Cinema Arts Program, which is a unique collection that showcases abstract, observational, poetic experimental films that encourage open-minded thinking, the same kind of open-minded thinking that the rest of the museum invites visitors to engage in. Now my role is with public programs, which is a bit more expanded, and it's really been a pleasure to work with science communicators in the Bay Area and during the pandemic across the country. And engaging with these audiences in these moments of wonder and discovery and questions, which I share as someone without a science background, is really, really great. And the collaboration with the STARS interns has been really fun. And I've learned a lot and excited that we get to continue with these programs. Wonderful. Thank you. Let me ask you, what is the current status of the Exploratorium? I believe it reopens in full to the public on July 1st. Is that accurate? That's right. We were able to announce just last week, about a week and a half ago, because of the positive trends that we're looking at the pandemic, that we can open the museum fully to public on July 1st. We'll be doing members previews the week before, starting uh, the last week of June. Obviously, we're going to be following capacity guidelines from San Francisco and the CDC. We've all been waiting as a staff, as a community, to 
get to open our doors again. And we're so excited. Yeah, you would expect a science museum to trust the science. So I think the caution caution is warranted, right? Absolutely. You're doing three events through the month of June. Um, the first one is tonight. It's linked with an organization called 500 Queer Scientists, which is a visibility campaign for LGBTQ people and their allies working in STEM fields and STEM supporting jobs. Can you explain where uh, 500 Queer Scientists came from and how Exploratorium has worked with them? Yeah, 500 Queer Scientists is a community effort. It's modeled off of another visibility campaign called 500 Women Scientists, where these passionate science educators, scientists saw this need where LGBTQ plus voices professionals were underrepresented and creating this community to not only create visibility for them and their practice is important, but it's also, as someone who programs science content, really an incredible resource for me to go and look at the biographies and interests of all these scientists and be able to tap into that network that has previously been a little bit harder to access. Nice. Eli, I want to ask you, how does this concept resonate with you? You know, you're at an age where you're possibly likely to embark on a very long and illustrious career in the sciences, possibly a STEM field. How, how does the evolution of visibility and representation in the hard sciences matter to you? I think like a big part of it is that science is one of those things where I think people don't think as much about diversity or like it doesn't come off as like being a thing where people are concerned of it. I think like about in college, all of my English major friends and all of my theater major friends were like, oh yeah, there's like a lot of queer professors. And I was like, cool. I don't know if there's any queer people really, except for like the one lesbian biologist that's here at the school. Uh, And even then it's like, she was also white. So for me being a person of color, it's also hard to see representation like on several fronts to be like, okay, is there any like Filipino non-binary scientists out there? Am I going to have to, you know, chop through the jungle and make my way as the first one? Representation is one of those things where it's like, certainly visibility isn't the only thing that matters, but visibility also tells you that there is a future for you and that you can continue to like exist in a space without having to constantly hold on to your space or like eke out space for yourself. Like that space already exists when people are visible. So yeah, I would say that that is one of the things that I find really important about 500 queer scientists and just like any projects that promote visibility of marginalized groups is like, obviously the next step is to also make these spaces actually accessible and like friendlier to marginalized groups. But I think just the the very process of seeing someone who is queer or seeing someone who's a person of color or both is really important to feeling like you belong. And I should have asked this at the top. Um, Of course, we won't hold you to this in decades to come, but do you have a specific area of focus that you're concentrating on? Are you you a biologist? Yeah, I do biology. Um, I would say that my general area of focus has been ecology, evolution, and entomology, sort of the three E's, and my name also happens to start with E. I have always been really interested in insects and how they fall into like ecology and evolution. And my next position after uh, the Exploratorium is with a mosquito lab. So that's kind of exciting. There's a lot of work happening with mosquitoes. I know that in Key West Mm -hmm. or around the Florida Keys, they released genetically modified mosquitoes into the population 
hoping that they probably wouldn't torture the residents quite so much. But I know that's a highly controversial move. But maybe, maybe that's a subject yeah. for a later date, although I'm sure you have opinions on that matter. Um, let's talk about the event on June 10th, which is called Queer the Future. That's exciting. And it's basically about humanity facing the climate crisis and related challenges. Um, I'm sure that there are some futurists that you've spoken to that have extremely dire predictions and others that may fall along more optimistic lines. But can you tell us more about what people can expect from this event? Yeah, this is a really exciting framing to bring to our After Dark audiences. There's a futurist named Jason Tester who formulated this website called QueerTheFuture.com that includes this thinking about how we need to not only make the future world a safe place for queer individuals, but make it a place where they can thrive and also learn from community organizing and the ways that queer activists have been able to adapt and survive culture that oftentimes rejects them, how those lessons can take us through the future, which, as you say, could be pretty dire when we're looking at climate catastrophe and potential other migration, wildfires, all these other kind of threats. And so it's a really interesting framing that he's put together based, of course, on the work of many, many queer activists through the decades, many of whom are trans and people of color. He's put together this as a talk that I happened to see he put on at the Long Now Foundation. And I wanted to invite him to come talk about some of that in our context. And it's really exciting because it's not just going to be a talk that he's going to deliver, but it's going to be a panel conversation where we're going to be joined by Eli and other panelists and other these other change makers who are going to be carrying the future forward for humanity. It was kind of you not to mention it, but um, I'm not a spring chicken <laughs> like like Eli. I, I'm a little bit um, of the older generation. And so I'm excited to see this energy coming up. One of the statistics that Jason Tester quotes is that a 2020 poll, one sixth of Gen Zs identify as LGBTQ+, and that is a significant leap from years prior. And so really looking at who is this population that's coming up and is inheriting the world. Nice. I don't know if you believe in free will or biological determinism or what, but a scientist with the name of Tester is just kind of amusing. Uh, but you know, like, <laughs> yeah. we, we hear these slogans a lot, especially Pride Month, like the future, is, or there are black trans people in the future, the future is queer, the future is trans, there is no gender. And I think these are really inspirational and kind of righteous things. But at the same time, you realize like the people who actually have to inhabit that future, many of whom are alive today, are not necessarily faced with like the same structural advantages and may not be as well disposed to thrive in these futures that we are so hell-bent on creating for ourselves and the generations to come. Uh, I'm going to throw this over to the most youthful member of this conversation to see if you have any um, perspective. I mean, there's not a lot of optimism in your your generation and your cohort, is there? Do you, how, how do you feel, though, as someone who's studying the sciences? Do you feel, do you feel optimistic? When you say cohort, I assume you mean just sort of like as a whole Gen Z, maybe. It's hard. It's hard, firstly, to say, like, generationally that people have, like, thoughts on something because, like, technically I'm, like, Gen Z millennial, right? But I'm also, like, these generational divides are really weird and I don't think they really <laughs> t 
tell you anything except for like the year someone was born. Every generation turnover, they're like, oh my god, the kids are gonna do so good. Like the kids are doing all right. And so then they pass it on to the next generation without considering that like these kinds of fights are fights that are for the rest of your life, which is kind of like that almost sounds a little dire saying it, but it's like work doesn't stop like as soon as you hit a certain age or that like it's only the job of like the younger generation to take care of something. I think that really to like create a future, you have to have the work of many, many people. And like right now we build on the work of so many people, like Sam was saying, like we were building on the work of like much older, like trans activists and people of color. I would say like also as a biologist, I think people sort of paint things to be a little more dire than they necessarily are, or they paint it to be like way less dire than it is. I think people don't have a good picture really of like what the future means. And that's because the picture of what the future is shifts around like how people interact with the world now. You know, when people are like, oh, what does it matter? We're all going to be dead by 2025. It's like, I just feel like that maybe it's like, we can also dream of like a better future and like that dreaming is the first step before you can like make actionable work towards it because like the less that you believe at least like in a world where you can try to work towards fixing some of the problems like you won't ever gain the courage to say like okay maybe we should actually start critiquing like these large corporations and like have actual work towards dismantling the ways that they destroy the environment and like the lands of people of color especially indigenous people so i think in general that pessimism and optimism like we really just got to like bring it together and say like what is the actual path that we want to take towards the future like what is the way towards like this future that we want and start taking steps towards it instead of being like oh like it's all over i've got to pass it on to another generation or just like give up because giving up is like the worst thing you know all of us have to work together like this generational divide of being like oh, the, the old people ruined it all it's like that's also not true i have so much in common with like an like a boomer who has also been disenfranchised in the same ways that i have been then like someone who's my age but has like a bunch of privilege like the generational divide is like not the only thing that we need to consider like we also have to consider how privilege interacts with how people view the future that is exactly right and then you're doing one final event which based on the description that i've read it seems like maybe more of a party and less of a seminar it's just called pride and it's on thursday june 24th and it's joined the Exploratorium in celebrating LGBTQ heritage and culture with artists, historians, and thinkers whose work centers self-affirmation, freedom of expression, and the essential need for representation. That sounds fun to me. Is that is that an accurate assessment? Yeah, you, you nailed it. And mea culpa, we were leaning into the party vibe of that weekend. And I'm glad that we got the opportunity to do more programming throughout the month where we can explore some of these tougher questions and be more critical. But really, that final After Dark is about celebration, is about embracing our community. Do you have a favorite LGBTQ-identified scientist? I, ha I have an answer, but it's a little bit of a cheat. But it's my favorite LGBT scientist is the last one that I met. The, we During Trans Day of Visibility, we interviewed a neuroscientist named Simone Sun, who 
was just so refreshing to me in this very kind of straightforward physical science discipline, being able to think expansively, convey kind of how important it is to change the paradigm of science from the inside. And really, that's an individual who, yeah, I found inspiring. And again, someone who is now pursuing a PhD and going to be able to be making those changes. So that's my cop-out answer. The last one that I met is my favorite. Eli, have you in your, you know, hacking through the jungle, have you met a non-binary Filipino biologist or is there you have a favorite LGBTQ scientist? As far as non-binary Filipino scientists, I would say like right now I'm the only one I know, but I'm sure that'll change in the future. I have a lot of people in my personal life who are scientists that I care like a lot about and I'm like, I love you. You're my favorite people. I'll do like three, but I'll make it quick. Uh, the first one I also met during the Trans Day of Visibility stuff with Shale Matsuda, who like came to talk to us about his work uh, with like coral and stuff. He was super cool. And also him talking about just like being trans through pursuing like a doctorate was really important to me. And he's also Asian. So I was like, man, I don't see a whole lot of Asian people, let alone a, like Asian trans men. So I was like, that was really important for me. And also his work is cool. He also worked on nudibranchs and I love nudibranchs. So um, second one, creator of 500 queer scientists who I worked with very briefly when I was at the California Academy of Sciences, Lauren Esposito, who also uh, works on spiders. And that was like a big interest of mine while I was working there, like very briefly as a docent and also um, doing arachnology. And then the third one is just my friend, Aaron Bermillo, who does a lot of environmental science stuff. And I adore them, and they are one of my best friends. So shout out, Aaron. <laughs> Excellent. One last question for you. I think I know what they are. I think they're kind of plant-like animals, but can you explain what are nudibranchs? Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> so, like, hold on. I'm going to pull up a definition so I don't totally mess it up. But so, like, a nudibranch is, like, it's like a mollusk, sort of. So, like, think, like, slugs and snails, but they're, like, sea slugs and snails. Um, they're not actually sea slugs if you like break down the taxonomy but they're just like these really beautiful little mollusks and they are really neat there's a lot of them in like the philippines and just like the pacific ocean in general and some of them look like little bunnies and stuff they are so adorable i love them excellent thank you eli sam thank you both really thank you thank you this has been The Queerness, a production of San Francisco Pride, conceived and co-produced by my hardworking colleagues, Chris, RJB, and Shannon. Our wonderful guests this episode were Eli Ramos and Sam Sharkland, an intern and a program developer, respectively, at the Exploratorium. Our theme music, which I'm honestly just loving more and more, was composed by La Frida. We strongly encourage you to like and subscribe to us, which helps increase The Queerness's visibility on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other platforms, because you know we're all about queer visibility around here. I'm your sickening host, Peter Astrid Kane, reminding you to be safe, but stay dangerous, never more so than now, as the world begins to reopen in earnest just in time for Pride Month. We firmly believe that there are trans people in the future, as well as oceans full of corals and nudibranchs. For now, happy Pride, and see you next time.